If you have a Bible, would you like to turn to 1 Kings chapter 9? Uh, last Sunday night, I know this is the morning, but stick with me. But last Sunday night, we started another new series called Controversial Jesus, uh, where we're going to be looking at some of the hard sayings of Jesus. Some of those things we wish sometimes Jesus had never said or hadn't said. And last week, the first one we looked at was from Luke chapter 9. It's Luke chapter 9, 23, and here it is. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself, and let them take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I'm not about to repeat any of what I shared Except I want to draw attention to one word in that sentence, and and that word is daily. Because a key point that we stressed last Sunday night was that discipleship is a daily decision. It's a daily discipline. Following Jesus and being a Christian is not simply a one-off decision. It involves and it requires ongoing commitment and faithfulness. And this morning, as we reconnect with uh, the story of Solomon, this idea of day-by-day, continual, faithful commitment to God is included. At least it's included to a certain extent, this need to stay focused, this need to keep living life 24-7 for God. It's certainly implied in this chapter, if not explicitly enforced. And so this morning, here's my question for you, or here is a question for you. How is your commitment to God today, as in on this day, right now, how is it? Okay, let's to the text. Now, before we stand to read the first part of 1 Kings 9, let me say something about the second part, verses 10 to 28, because this is a chapter of two halves, if there ever was one. The first nine verses flow, the next 19 don't so much. We're going to concentrate on the first nine, but I don't want to ignore the rest. In fact, It's really important I say something about them. Verses 10 to 28, and if you have a Bible in front of you, scan these with me, but verses 10 to 28 are effectively a documentary of palace life. They're a window into life as a king. If you have an NIV translation of the Bible in front of you, you'll see that from verses 10 to 28, they are interestingly headed Solomon's other activities. Here is a record, here is a collection of the kind of things a king did. How he went about his business, how he got involved in politics, how he gave gifts, and as it turns out, not very good ones. As he built things, more things, as he employed more people, or rather, he conscripted them. How he performed religious duties, how he built a fleet of ships, how he engaged in trade and commerce, how he made a few quid. Actually, he made a fortune. And if you really dig into these verses, I know there's more to them than that, but at one level, they simply give us a flavor of and an insight into Solomon's regular life, where there were things to do, people to see, choices to make, decisions to take, 
There were ups, there were downs, there were twists, there were turns, there were highs, there were lows. And without making too big a deal of it, this is your life and mine. Jobs to do. Responsibilities to carry out, demands to meet, presents to exchange, people to work with, relationships to navigate and enjoy, money to earn. And through it all, there will be good moments, there will be not so good moments, there will be people pleased, there will be people disappointed. It's all in there. But where am I going with this? Well, I want us to connect. I want us to connect with Solomon in the sense that we will all walk out of here in half an hour and go and live life in our world. We will go from here and we'll do the things we need to do. We'll deal with the things and the people we need to deal with. We'll face the situations we have to face. We'll handle the pressures we have to handle. We'll perform the duties we have to perform. But the critical question for every single one of us, and the critical question for Solomon was this, would he... Would he or would he not remain faithful to God through it all? In all Solomon did and got up to, would he consistently live for God and avoid unfaithfulness? And what about us? Every single one of us in half an hour or so is going to walk out of here and go back to our lives. And in all that all of us do, the question is, are we going to remain faithful to God today? And that's what takes us to the first nine verses. Where the true priorities of Solomon's life are set out, they're restated, they're re-emphasized, so that as he gets on with the regular stuff of kingship, he will not to use too crass a phrase, he will keep the main things the main things. So that he will remain faithful. Here's why God shares with him these true priorities. So that he will remain faithful day by day. And for us as we listen afresh this morning to these priorities, I pray that we will live our lives as we get on with the regular stuff of homemaking, of teaching, of running a business, of studying, of lecturing, of surveying, of nursing, of caring, of accounting, of engineering. Whatever it is you do, I pray that you will remain faithful to God on a daily, ongoing basis via these priorities. So the question is, what are they? Well, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. And we're starting at verse 1. 1 Kings 9. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and the plea that you've made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, Solomon... You walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and you do all I command and observe my decrees and laws. I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me, 
And if you do not observe the commands and decrees that I've given you, and if you go off and you serve other gods and you worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land. And I'll reject this temple that I've just consecrated for my name. Israel will become a byword. It'll become an object of ridicule among the peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble, and all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and will say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to to this temple? And the people will answer, it's because they've forsaken their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they've embraced other gods and they've worshipped them and they've served them. And that's why the Lord has brought disaster on them. Grab a seat. Last, uh, last week, Tim took us through Solomon's brilliant and breathtaking prayer, which he offered at the grand opening of the temple. But sometime around them, according to verses 1 and 2 that we just read, God appears to Solomon for a second time. Bit of congregational participation. Who can tell me when? God appeared to Solomon for the first time? Or what happened when God appeared to Solomon for the first time? Sorry? It was in chapter 3, whenever God appeared to Solomon with that amazing offer, ask for whatever you want me to give you. So here we are 20 years later. That's how long it took to build the palace and the temple. Here we are 20 years later and God reappears to Solomon for a second time. And he comes to Solomon with these incredibly comforting and reassuring and exciting words. He says, I have heard the prayer and plea that you've made before me. I've consecrated the temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now God doesn't stop there, I know that, but we need to stop there. We need to press pause For a second, because knowing that God hears and responds to our praying and our prayers is never something we should take for granted. This whole idea that the God of the universe listens in as we talk to Him, as we cry out to Him, as we converse with Him, that is a truly amazing thought. Prayer is an awesome, and I use that in the truest sense, prayer is an awesome privilege and gift and opportunity. We read here that God heard Solomon's prayer, the prayer of chapter 8, all of it, that incredibly long prayer. God listened in to all of it. And not only did he listen to it, but he answered it. And so he comes back at Solomon. He comes back to Solomon and he confirms three things. In response to his praying, he says, I have made this temple a holy place. I've consecrated it. I've set it apart. Secondly, and this is connected, I'm going to put my name there forever, which is a way of saying, listen, this is my temple. Yes, Solomon, you built it. You took seven years to build it, but ultimately it belongs to me. It's mine. And this is also about presence. This is about God saying, I will be there. And then thirdly, my eyes. That's an incredible thought. My eyes and my heart will always be 
there. In other words, I'm going to watch over it. And I'm going to be committed to it. And I'm going to watch over it. And I'm going to be committed to all those who go there and worship there. And as I was reflecting on that and thinking about the fact that in about a week's time, contractors do move on to the Lisburn Road. And we do begin to build and refurbish our new church home. I kind of thought that even at this stage, maybe, just maybe, we could adopt some of those ideas and intentionally pray them for the majestic. God, would this place be marked by a sense of your presence and holiness? Like from the moment the contractors go on site, not just when we rack up, would this place be marked by a sense of your holy presence? Would we always remember, this is not Windsor Baptist's church. It's our home. It belongs to God. It's ultimately His. And may God's eyes and His heart always be there watching over us, committed to us. But as I said, God isn't finished speaking to Solomon. And so in the next verses from verses four to nine, God reminds Solomon of his true priorities. He reminds Solomon of his true priorities as he gets on with life in the kingdom. He reminds him about what's really important in terms of his day-to-day faithful Christian living. And included in those reminders are these solemn warnings about what will happen if he doesn't remain faithful. So 20 years into his reign, this is about the midpoint of Solomon's reign, 20 years into his reign, it's time to take stock. It's time to renew. It's time to refresh. Even after two decades, Solomon needs to, come and, needs to keep coming back to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. And we constantly do. And so I don't apologize for raking up that phrase yet again. And so God turns around to Solomon and he says this, as for you, Solomon, this now gets personal. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your dad did, and you do all I command and if you observe all my decrees and my laws, and in there, there are three priorities of life. But here's the thing, you've got to choose them. You've got to stick to them. You've got to choose them. You've got to stick to them today. Irrespective of what you've done in the past, what you've committed to in the past, you've got to choose to commit to these afresh today, Solomon. And I can say that because included in this text is that wee word that makes all the difference in the world, if. Do you know there's no guarantee here? This requires your ongoing faithful commitment. If you, here's the first priority, if you walk before me. Now that word walk is clearly not about a literal one foot in front of the other. It's a word in scripture that refers to conduct, behavior, and lifestyle. So how are we to conduct ourselves? How are we to behave ourselves? How are we to live our lives before God? How are we to walk 
before God faithfully. Faithfully. You see, faithfulness to God on a daily basis is essential. Unfaithfulness is a disaster. So here is your and my priority number one today. To conduct ourselves, to behave ourselves, and to live our lives faithfully before God. So what does that mean? How is faithfulness characterized? Well, let's read on. Here's what it looks like. Here is priority number two. With integrity of heart and uprightness. Do you know, there needs to be a deep internal commitment to do the right thing regardless. There needs to be authenticity. There needs to be consistency. Consistency. There needs to be a heart that is true and that is pure. A heart that takes sin seriously. There needs to be a heart that is undivided. There needs to be a heart where there are no contradictions. That doesn't say one thing and then do another. That doesn't sing one thing on a Sunday and then live something else on a Monday. An undivided heart, integrity of heart, means there's no compromise. This is about wholehearted devotion. In Psalm 25, David, Solomon's late dad, prays for this very thing. Here is a prayer. You want to take away a daily prayer for the next week? Here it is. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. Please, God. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. God still isn't finished. Because after referring Solomon to the example of his dad, because he says, as David, your dad did, he then reminds Solomon of another key priority that his dying dad shared with him on his deathbed. These words are simply an echo of David's words. And do all as I command and observe my decrees and my laws. What David actually said back in chapter 2 was walk in obedience to God, Solomon, and keep his decrees and keep his commands, his laws and his regulations. So here is priority number three, ongoing obedience to God and his word. Ongoing obedience to God and his word. You see, if you've got a Bible, if you flick back a chapter to the very last line of Solomon's great prayer of dedication, this is 1 Kings 8, 61, Tim drew our attention to this. Listen to how it ends. And may your hearts be, here's Solomon praying, this is the final prayer of this huge prayer. May your hearts, that's the people's hearts, be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands at this time. You see, Solomon himself knew the importance of being fully committed to God at this time. In other words, right now, today. And so he prays that the people would realize that. But even though Solomon gets that, God still appears to him for a second time at the beginning of chapter 9 and reminds him of it, emphasizes it yet again. So here are your three priorities, Solomon. Walk faithfully, conduct yourself, behave yourself, live your life faithfully before me. Secondly, with integrity of heart, wholehearted devotion and uprightness, consistency, no contradictions, no compromise. And thirdly, in obedience to me and my word. And the thing is, for us, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Those priorities still apply. And so like Solomon, we need to choose to follow God 
today. Philip Reichen, in his commentary on this chapter, says, some Christians seem to think that this is a choice, that is the choice to follow God, that this is a choice we make only once in life when we first decide to follow Christ. But in fact, we face this choice every day at every moment. You see, discipleship is a daily decision. We need to keep coming back to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. We need to refresh our true priorities in life on a regular basis. Why? So that we don't drift, so that we don't coast, so that we don't lose our way. And if the wisest person who ever lived needed to be reminded about the need to walk before God faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness and in obedience to God's word, then I reckon I do. I reckon we all do. And so what I want you to invite, or what I want to invite you to do in the silence for a second is reflect on these three priorities in your life today. Right now. God still isn't finished talking to Solomon. And at this point, verse six, God appears to change tack because having affirmed the positive, if you walk before me faithfully and with integrity of heart and obedience, he now moves to the negative and he warns Solomon what's gonna happen to him and his descendants if they don't. If they turn away from God, if they choose not to obey God or his word, if they go off and serve and worship other gods, you see, these are genuine dangers and possibilities for each and every Christian which is why I believe God highlights them. You know, Christians can turn away from God. Christians can opt to ignore God's word, to avoid it, to dilute it, to disobey it. And Christians can allow other gods to become the focus. Christians can allow other gods to solicit their affection and devotion. It happens. And we all know it happens because we all know of Christians who've lost their way. And so God comes to Solomon, he warns him of the urgent and ongoing need for faithfulness. And he goes on to detail and explain the implications and the repercussions of ignoring the warning, of not staying on track, of not staying focused, of not remaining continually, daily, day by day committed. And they're serious. And if you look at verse 7, he says, they'll be cut off from the promised land. And still in verse 7, that the temple, you know that grand striking structure? That grand striking structure that took you seven years to build, 3,304 men? I reckon we might have won. 3,304 men, it records, in chapter 5 worked on this project. See that striking structure you've just built and dedicated? I'll reject that if you... Do not remain faithful. And worse than that, it'll become a heap of rubble. And that carries all kind of implications regarding God's ongoing presence and blessing. And then finally, verse 7 and 8, you, Solomon, and all the people of God, you'll become a laughing stock. You'll become the butt of jokes. You'll be objects of ridicule. 
You see, the high cost of disobedience is spelled out. The price tag of infidelity and unfaithfulness is clearly marked. The consequences of not staying true to God on an ongoing basis are real, and God highlights them, he explains them, he stresses them, he reveals them. But the question is, what do we make of these warnings? You see, for some people, they think they sound threatening, they sound harsh. This is as if God somehow is taking delight in telling Solomon what's going to happen whenever he messes up but they are not that. It is not that. It cannot be that. These verses, these warnings are an example, a prime example of God's amazing grace. And they need to be seen in that light. God came to Solomon. He reappeared to him for a second time and he told him, he explicitly told him what would happen if he walked faithfully, if he had integrity of heart, if he had uprightness, if he lived in obedience to God's word, God tells him what's going to happen. But at the same time, God also told him what would happen if he didn't. And so Solomon could never say he wasn't warned. He wasn't kept in the dark. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't blindsided. You see, God wants what's best for Solomon. He knows what's best and therefore reinforces the need on his part to stay committed to be careful, to be aware of the pitfalls and the temptations, to recognize the dangers. And so God comes to him and reappears to him a second time and lovingly reminds him of his calling and his true priorities. He lovingly gives him a heads up on the importance of remaining fully committed at this time, of not getting distracted, of not losing his way, of not entertaining compromise. And that is grace. And that grace of God continues to sound the warnings. Because God knows the tendency of his people to let other gods solicit their affection. He knows the temptation is real to do our own thing as opposed to his thing. God knows that I am prone to wander. And so in a moment, we're going to sing that great hymn, Come Thou Fount which includes these honest lyrics, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. You see, Solomon was prone to wander. I am prone to wander. Solomon was susceptible to other attractions, to other gods, to different priorities. And here in 1 Kings 9, God comes to him to explain how to consistently live and live God's way and not his own way. And so the question is, what will Solomon do? As he goes about all these other activities, as he gets on with being king, as he does the kind of things that kings do that we read in the second part of chapter 9, will Solomon pay attention to what God says? Will he take it to heart? Will he embrace the ifs? And will he take the tip off seriously? Will God's word shape and influence how he goes about his work and his relationships and his interests and his life? Well, that remains to be seen. And we'll discover the answer to that next week. But as we close, one of the really interesting aspects of this chapter, and particularly the first nine verses, is this. We read of no response from Solomon. No comeback, no reaction, no comment. 
no commitment. And I wonder why. But what about us? What about you and me today? As you and I get up now and go out and go back to our everyday life with all our responsibilities and concerns and demands and obligations, what is your response today? What will be your ongoing priorities? Will you choose today to walk faithfully before God? Will you choose to conduct yourself, to behave yourself, to live your life faithfully before God today? Will you again commit to integrity of heart and uprightness? No contradictions, no compromise. Will you hear God's word and obey God's word today? Will you stay focused and not turn away? Will you recommit to serving God and worshiping him and him alone as opposed to any other gods? Well, that's your choice. It's mine. And I invite you to make it again today.